Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. The outgoing director of military intelligence for the Israel Defense Forces, Major General Tamir Haiman, reiterated last week an assessment he made public at the turn of the year. General Haiman, who under the Israeli system is charged with overall national assessment, not only the military one, insisted that Iran remains at least two years away from acquiring nuclear weapons and is yet to decide on such action. It is careful to make progress on certain routes, notably research and development in accumulating high-enriched uranium, but not on others. Based on this assumption, a plausible interpretation is that Iran wants to improve its position in a revived and revised Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, a new nuclear deal with the United States and other world powers. Are we about to see these talks launched and what is to be expected in them? Joining us from the U.S. coastal city of New York is Dr. Oli Heinonen, who is the former Deputy Director General of the International Atomic Energy Agency and a distinguished fellow at the Stimson Center in Washington, D.C. Thank you for joining us, sir. Thank you. Also joining us from elsewhere here in Jerusalem is Dr. Neil Bohms, who is a research fellow at the Moshe Dayan Center at Tel Aviv University. Thank you for joining us as well, sir. Good to be here. Indeed, and with us here in the studio is our TV7 analyst and host of TV7's Watchmen Talk, Mr. Amir Oren. Amir, give us an understanding on the latest developments pertaining to Iran's nuclear program, the negotiations which remain stalled to date, yet there are signals from the Iranians with no specifics, of course, with regard to possibly reviving the talks in Vienna. Well, General Hyman, uh, whom you uh, quoted relinquished uh, his important post uh, on the very anniversary of the Yom Kippur War, which is uh, well remembered in Israel even after 48 years as the epitome of an intelligence failure. So he is obviously aware of uh, the problem of trying to estimate what a hostile power um, such as Iran has, what is it capable of, and what uh, its intentions are. But having said that, and because there are uh, frequent reports about uh, Iran's uh, breakout time, which uh, Oli Anir will uh, also probably allude to, um, Hyman was uh, careful to note that uh, if you take all of the uh, routes to the bomb um, together, Iran is still two years away from that. And by that he meant that if, for instance, uh, one could take uh, in one's hand or in a plastic bag enriched uranium and run off and uh, throw it like a bomb, yes, they are only a few weeks away. But because you have to weaponize, because you have to marry it to uh, a plane or a missile, and because of some other considerations, one should not be so alarmed yet. Yes, he thinks that Iran is Israel's major security problem. Yes, he became uh, more anti-Iran, as he put it, uh, while on duty. But he thinks that there is still time to see whether the new nuclear deal uh, is in the offing. Let me make one other uh, remark. Six years ago, when the uh, deal was struck, um, China and the United States were not so competitive with each other. Yes, they were 
under the uh, Obama administration, uh, they were not uh, the best of friends. But there was not such overt hostility having to do with trade, with Taiwan and other issues. And it's a pity that now, with China having leverage over Iran, the United States does not have leverage over China to use its own leverage over Tehran. Well, leverage is, of course, a matter of perspective, and and, uh, each side can utilize uh, their own uh, uh, tools. But uh, with regard to General Hyman, of course, it is based on the assumption that Israel has all of the information at hand and that Iran is not uh, disguising additional operations uh, in in areas that are unknown to Israel, as was the case uh, in a specific nuclear reactor uncovered, not necessarily but by Israel, but by another Jonathan, country to the you're West. you're going back to Donald Rumsfeld's known unknowns and unknown knowns. So there are plenty of variables here, but I'd like to bring in Dr. Heinonen into the discussion. Uh, Dr. Heinonen, if, if you identify the various components at hand within Iran's capacity to do, uh, to produce at least enough fissile material for one nuclear weapon, how far is Iran away from such a, uh, a quantity, if you will? And does it have the other pillars which you have spoken about uh, frequently in, in the past, are those pillars of a uh, the the means of, of delivery, if you will, the the ballistic missiles and uh, uh, the other components necessary in order to establish a precision guided munition that would deliver a nuclear warhead? Thank you. When I look at the statement of Honorable General, I wonder whether it's more political in nature than a technical and to calm the atmosphere in Israel so that uh, no pressures come to unnecessary access. Because from the technical point of view, and looking back to the history, first of all, we have to remember that this uh, parliamentary law, which is in Iran, requires the Atomic Energy Organization to install 2,000 IR, well, sorry, 1,000 IR, 2M centrifuges by the end of the year. That's three months away. That will be a tremendous game changer if they do so. But meanwhile, they are accumulating this uh, higher enrichments, which have got the current breakout time to one month or about that. Well, certainly with one uh, the, with one uh, pack, package of high enriched uranium, you cannot do very much. But it starts a very different ball game. Because then people know that they have enough fissile material for one nuclear weapon. And then come these uncertainties, unknowns, known knowns, known unknowns, and unknown unknowns. And we really don't know how well they are prepared, which kind of assistance they got in the past. And if we look at history, just let's go back to summer 1945, when the US was finalizing its uh, first nuclear weapons. It was uh, somewhere in June, July, when they had enough uh, fissile material for the weapon in in, uh, for uh, Hiroshima. The weapon was, components had been tested, but not a weapon as a system. And a couple of months later, it was dropped. So certainly it was much more simpler device than implosion device. But there is also a huge difference. Today, the knowledge on implosion device 
this is in public, and uh, even Rook states are in a much better position uh, to build it. So we should not rely too much on this kind of two-year timeframes, because once this material is out of sight, they start to use it to torture. We never know exactly where they are. So I would be very cautious just to rely on that and believe at the same time that we know everything. Indeed. Dr. Bombs, I'd like to hear your perspective on this, but if you may also add uh, on the fact that it seems like Iran is positioning itself to re-engage in dialogue, if you will, in Vienna, but from a position of strength where it is rushing towards a bomb and unless it receives what it wants, it will not relent. How do you see this? Well, that's certainly the dynamic that uh, that we see. And just uh, to add to the, the, the last note of uh, Dr. Heinemann, uh, we've seen uh, this dispute over the Tessa Haraj uh, site with the uh, IAEA, and where on the one hand they were allowed to come into some of the sites uh, and to replace the hardware and equipment that was very much overdue. And at the same token, in some of the sites, uh, it was clear that they're not welcome. And it's not entirely clear uh, that we know what is happening there. So there's certainly more than meets the eye. Uh, Iran uh, seems to have had uh, some good moments uh, in the last uh, few months, certainly when it comes to Afghanistan, um, and then a little bit more uh, when it comes to Russia and China. Uh, the, the Iranians were clear to say, uh, quick to say, that uh, what had happened in Afghanistan was not a U.S. withdrawal, but uh, a U.S. defeat. They were The Americans were driven out. Uh, they had they are keeping uh, and maintaining uh, good relationships with the Chinese uh, and also with the Russians. And all of that is a, a front that helps on the one hand uh, with uh, what may happen now in Vienna and certainly uh, takes a signal, sends a signal to the Americans when they come to negotiate with them. Uh, the interest obviously lies on the other side. Uh, and therefore, uh, when the Americans come to Vienna, remain the question remains uh, what uh, will they be able to do if the Iranians are showing a position of strength and they're saying, look, this is a hard line. We're certainly not going to be uh, uh, doing exactly what was done before. And what was done before uh, was not giving us much progress, uh, a much more hard line position. Uh, a new uh, uh, President Ibrahim Raisi that, that doesn't have much uh, faith or trust uh, in, uh, the, in America uh, and in the negotiations overall. And then they basically says, look, uh, you know, we are now maybe able to get uh, you know, go on, on on our own. Uh, and the, the challenge as well is that if there's going to be a deal reached, as President Biden said, it should be a better deal. And part of this being a better deal that has to do deal with some of the other dimensions beyond the nuclear uh, um, progress itself. It has to do with uh, the ballistic missiles and with Iran's uh, regional region influence. Uh, a number of other factors that, of course, Iran is not uh, coming to the table with much will to compromise upon. Um, so on the one hand, Iran very much needs the sanctions relief. Uh, this is a very big part of their demand. Uh, on the other hand, the, the, the Americans and them would like to see uh, a better deal reached, but the positions of the sides uh, are fairly further away. And the fact that Iran comes stronger to the table does not, uh, to my opinion, adds uh, to the chances that these negotiations will actually succeed. Indeed. Mr. Ogan, Iran coming with a demand, as was reported uh, by Iranian state media in the interview with Foreign Minister um, uh, Hassan Amir uh, Abdullahian, 
that uh, it demanded $10 billion of the United States. I mean, it seems like they're desperate for some kind of relief, at least to save face, but it seems like that the fiscal debt accumulating in Iran is bringing it to its knees. Uh, but at the same time, it has plenty of other routes of, of uh, strategy to, to pursue vis-a-vis -vis the West. One of those issues is, of course, its regional dimensions and, and the policy exerted there. Nonetheless, uh, to what degree do you think that it is resolved in returning to negotiations? And will it do so in good faith or will it be just a step in, in the direction of trying to, you know, get the, the West so-called off its back? Well, putting the terms Iran and good faith in the same sentence is quite a leap. Um, interest is what uh, will dictate uh, their, their approach. Now, uh, the $10 billion tag, which you mentioned, is extortion born out of desperation. Obviously, they need the money and they need to show their population that they have gotten some relief and that the trend is going to be positive from now on. And of course, the Iranians will try to uh, squeeze whatever concessions they can before they go back to negotiations. These are two stages of basically the same uh, bargaining uh, ploy. First, you pay for being part of the game, and then comes uh, uh, the game itself. But, um, you know, um, I'm not uh, an expert on beer consumption, but it stands to reason that if you want to get smashed, one beer will not be enough. You need at least a six-pack. If Iran wants to go nuclear, one bomb um, is worse for it than none. Because if it has a bomb, yes, it's a record. It's like Columbus reaching the new world, Chuck Yeager breaking the uh, sound barrier, and several such first. But all it will do is bring the wrath of Israel and the United States and the rest upon it. So it must find a way, once it wants to break out, to have an arsenal, not just a single warhead. And it seems beyond its powers right now, so it stands to reason, at least our reasoning, that it is on its way to the back to the table. With that being said, of course, there remain outstanding questions regarding undeclared nuclear materials that were uncovered by IAEA inspectors in Tehran. Dr. Heinonen, can the IAEA provide assurances to the international community on Iran's compliance with any nuclear deal at a time when it cannot even secure answers that uh, add up, as uh, the director general of the IAEA uh, mentioned, uh, Rafael Mariano Grossi, with regard to Iranian answers that were blatant lies, if you will. How can the agency confirm Iran's compliance if it cannot even manage to confirm that it's not dealing with undeclared activities? It's actually not up to the IAEA secretary. It's up to the member states and particularly the Board of Governors and the UN Security Council. They should provide necessary legal authorization for the IAEA to do its job and not just sit on the fence and look when Iran proceeds with its enrichment and possibly with the clandestine locations. And this gap between last year's resolution, June uh, 
uh, last year versus this year on this unresolved issues shows that the international community has selected this kind of uh, approach of watching what happens. And this certainly frustrates uh, General, uh, Director General Grossi because he wants to do uh, his job. And under current circumstances, he's not positioned to implement it. And the end result, it will be uh, less credible IAEA verification regime. That's one thing. It sets a precedent not only to Iran for further actions, but to the international community in general that IAEA has currently in the current political uh, environment tremendous limitations to do its core mission. This is what I would say, and that's what is in the stake. Indeed. And Dr. Bones, when we're looking at uh, the way Iran has been demonizing the IAEA, claiming it has become politicized by Israel and the United States in order to advance its own interests in uh, the Iranian nuclear program or to try and thwart uh, Iran from having such a program, do you think the Iranians are doing this in order to somehow uh, detach itself from responsibilities or outcomes that may be uh, produced by the international agency? Well, that's certainly a, a good uh, reason or excuse to use if uh, we're not reaching an agreement. Uh, another way to say all options are open on our hand. It's also a very good technique if you wish to strengthen your own hand in a negotiation, saying that uh, the adversaries uh, uh, have false claims and you, this is all politically motivated and therefore you should not listen to the intelligence report, uh, for example, that they're giving to you by the Israelis. The Iranians are, are, are not lazy. I mean, we sometimes tend to think that uh, you have a very isolated country that uh, uh, is just uh, engaging uh, in a certain way uh, occasionally in Vienna, uh, but uh, that's not the case. I mean, the Iranians have been very busy. Uh, they had meetings with uh, the Saudis. They had meetings in Qatar. They obviously have meetings with Russia and with China and with other partners. So they're very busy lobbying, uh, not just for the JCPOA, broadly for their interests and their regional hegemony. Uh, and in that sense, they are preparing themselves uh, for two ways. Either they will succeed, uh, because uh, in some ways the American uh, traditional approach, uh, not under the previous administration, but certainly before it, uh, was that the United States did not necessarily wish to find itself uh, in uh, a, a scenario that brings additional conflict and it wished to avoid them by bringing diplomacy to the table. That certainly still is the European approach. We've heard it uh, uh, from the Europeans recently just uh, some, some a week and a, a bit more ago in the United Nations uh, with Joseph Borrell. Uh, diplomacy is uh, the answer for all of these issues. And therefore, we need to negotiate. We need to come back to the old JCPOA or to a slightly renewed framework. Uh, and in that sense, uh, buy ourselves some time and quiet, resolve the uh, nuclear issue to a certain degree. And the other issues are less important because the original framework of the JCPOA did not cover them. Uh, that's uh, I th I think something that uh, certainly is a problem uh, from when it comes to an Israeli perspective. I think it's important, though, to make a clear distinction between EU foreign policy chief Josep Borrell, who is the uh, administrator of this uh, talks at uh, in Vienna, 
uh, as opposed to the E3 who are losing patience, who have stated this on multiple occasions, who are frustrated with additional demands uh, coming out of Tehran, and with France, uh, which is quite adamant on a JCPOA+, plus, uh, as is uh, Great Britain. Germany is a different story, of course, but uh, Mr. Owen, when, when we're looking at the whole picture, can the international community guarantee that Iran is not accumulating enough material for a nuclear weapon behind the scenes? Once again, the ifs and hows and wheres and whats, taking this out of the equation, practically speaking, what are the guarantees that Israel can have and to what degree should it prepare for uh, the day in which it suddenly finds out that it, it was wrong? Well, Israel should obviously be prepared to take action, even though uh, if this action is taken uh, by aircraft, these are all American-made, and uh, there will be the expectation in Washington that uh, Israel will consult with Washington, because for the Iranians, it will uh, inevitably uh, uh, be uh, an Israeli-American uh, joint action. As was earlier uh, this week, of course, the meeting between Jake Sullivan and Hulata, the, the national security advisors of the United States and Israel, uh, in which they were discussing a plan B. They were discussing what if Iran doesn't return to nuclear uh, diplomacy for that weather, and then what would well, be the reaction of the United States, Israel, and its like-minded nations? Well, this was the way it was uh, described in Israel, but um, it seems as if it was an Israeli plan B which was marketed to the Biden administration, not necessarily signed off on by uh, Biden. But, um, you know, the Iranians, uh, even though it's uh, for their tactical advantage, have a case politically in saying, uh, how can we be sure that whatever we sign with Biden will still be biding if Trump goes back to office or even if the Republicans uh, take Congress next year? Um, in Iran, of course, uh, there is continuity under the Ayatollahs, uh, specifically under Khamenei. But in the United States, a democracy, the next president or the next Congress can change whatever the uh, incumbents do. There will be probably an agreement between the Americans and the Iranians, and Israel can try to improve it at the margins, looking from its own perspective, but it cannot be uh, responsible for aborting it. But you're, you're speaking about guarantees. There are no guarantees. If the Trump administration potentially well, retakes office uh, in a couple of years. Well, you know, there was, there was a debate behind the scenes some uh, 55, 60 years ago between Jerusalem and Washington on the question of guarantees. And what the Kennedy and then the Johnson administration told Prime Ministers Ben-Gurion and Ashkol is that, listen, you don't need what you call a deterrent. We all know what they meant. If uh, push comes to shove, if Nasser attacks, we guarantee that the Sixth Fleet will be over. But they will told, yes, by the time you get here, it will all be over before you come over. So uh, what good is a guarantee um, in the time frame in which a nuclear strike from Iran uh, takes place? Israel, uh, of course, will take care of its own, but it uh, prefers that the international community does before it must do what it must. Indeed. Well, we're drawing near to the end of the program, and I'd like to uh, receive 
perspective, uh, speculation, of course, but still uh, informed analysis. Dr. Heinonen, where are things heading from here? Are we expected to see a resumption of talks and ultimately a JCPOA potentially plus or the way it was in the past, about one minute and a half, if you may? Doesn't look very promising at this point of time, certainly the talks. And I think that they might come in a very difficult time. If we follow this Iranian foreign minister's term, talks start soon, and then people speculate that that might be in November. The nuclear program is in a very different situation in November. And uh, as was mentioned by previous speakers, Iranians are going to speak from the strength to that end. And I think it would be difficult to get them without any conditions to the table. Particularly now that they have gone out and said that we need you know, some catering of the table by with 10 million billion dollars. It's a very difficult to remove back from that position and say, okay, actually it doesn't matter, let's talk. Yeah? And then we have this looming deadline of additional centrifuges to be installed. So we, we will be in a, a very difficult position with the talks. And then it's the acceptance here in the US and in the Congress. We have to remember that Mr. Biden is also tied with his hands to the previous uh, legislation, because any deal what he writes with Iran is subject to approval by the Congress. Indeed. And there is no bipartisan support at this point of time, I'm sure, which will uh, get him over this uh, 60 votes in Senate threshold. So there are a lot of uh, uncertainties waiting us, but at least let's hope that the talks start and then see how it goes from there. But I'm not overly optimistic that there's any solution anytime soon. Indeed, plenty of obstacles. Uh, Dr. Baum, do you have less than a minute? I'll just say that uh, regardless if we're going to have an agreement or we're not going to have an agreement, what I think this whole office does is uh, increases the uh, numbers in some of the reports that we see regarding uh, the uh, weapons uh, exchange uh, that uh, uh, that ex that market has reached three trillion dollars uh, uh, last year's in military expenditure. It basically sends a very clear signal that the, the Middle East continues to be not very stable. Uh, that agreements may not necessarily be kept, that the Americans may be going out, that the Iranians, with or without an agreement, are going to continue to, to be belligerent. And it sends a very clear signal to all those around them that one of the things they need to do is to continue an arms race. I mean, this is something that can be very, very dangerous for the future. Indeed. Well, this is all the time that we have for today. Uh, despite the bleak assessments, uh, hopefully we'll have a, sh uh, a similar show in the near future that we'll be able to be more optimistic about. But I'd th like to thank, it's always always a pleasure, Dr. Heinonen, Dr. Bohm, thank you so very much. And I'd like to thank our TV7 analyst, Mr. Milowen, as well. And to thank all of you at home for being part of today's panel by uh, viewing. And we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.